know, the Protestant theologian Karl Barth, he's got this really great expression where he basically says that every generation must begin anew. Every generation must begin anew. And basically the whole idea is that regardless of what has taken place in the past, regardless of what future generations might do in the future, we're called to focus on right now, the task at hand, to keep our eyes on the prize, if you will, to focus on the dewy of the moment. How is God calling me, calling us, to exercise responsibility with regards to that portion of human history in the world which has been entrusted to us in terms of coming up with creative solutions to complex problems. You know, the great Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton, he's got a really great quote in this regard where he basically says that life is like a complex lock, which requires an equally complex key to basically unlock the thing. And his whole point, of course, is that when it comes to the mystery of life, when it comes to the mystery of the human person in particular, there's a certain complexity which obtains in these situations, right? And so therefore, as a Christian people, we've got to learn to move beyond empty platitudes, superficial proposals, and to realize that we need to bring to the table complex solutions to equally complex problems, in the absence of which the world will basically dismiss the Christian thing. And so just to kind of frame everything we're going to talk about going forward, I want to share with you this joke that I heard at this pre-seminar that was hosted by the Archdiocese of Toronto. So basically the joke goes like this. There was this guy, he was on a plane and he was wearing a parachute and his goal was to jump out of the plane and land in a particular spot. But he jumped out too early and eventually he ended up in a tree. And so obviously, as you might imagine, he was kind of scared, right? So he's hanging in this tree, he's looking around for help. All of a sudden, he hears kind of rustling on the ground level. So he shouts down from this tree, help, help, right? And he hears the person below kind of stop. And so the guy up above kind of shouts down to the guy below, like, um, can you tell me where I am? The guy below kind of says, um, you're in a tree, right? In response to which the guy above says, thanks, Father. In response to which the guy below says, how did you know I was a priest? And the guy above says this, and this is the punchline. Because you said something that was true, but totally not helpful. In other words, you said something that was true, but in a certain sense was completely useless. And you know, even though I'm a Catholic priest, I, I really love that joke because I find it to be infinitely relatable. Because quite honestly, we, we've all been there, right? We've all been in the context of Sunday Mass where we're listening to the homily and we're hearing the person preaching give, quite frankly, empty platitudes, superficial solutions to complex world problems. And what do we do typically in response? I would propose that we tend to do one of two things. Either we get frustrated or we give into a sense of indifference. We start saying to ourselves, well, gosh, I guess the church has nothing to say in terms of the complexity of my own lived out world experience. But you know, that said, the thing I want to impress upon you is that there actually is a third option. Because the fact of the matter is, the gospel is very relevant, it's completely inspiring, and the gospel, if understood correctly, actually speaks into every aspect of human experience. And so to illustrate the point, let's focus on the Gospel of John, chapter 20, which of course tells the story of Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb. And so perhaps we might kind of kick things off by asking ourselves the question, what sort of homily do we typically hear in response to this gospel about the story of, again, Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb? Well, obviously there's all sorts of different possibilities, but at the same time, perhaps I might suggest that the homily that you typically hear in response to this story goes something like this. The reason why Mary Magdalene didn't recognize Christ at the empty tomb was because she basically lacked faith. And so the exhortation for all of us is to have faith. Have stronger faith and you'll recognize Christ in your midst. Now go forward to love and serve the Lord. And again, I think all of us, without exception, we've all heard homilies like that in the context of the Sunday liturgy, proposing to us empty platitudes, superficial solutions, which results again in frustration or complete indifference. 
And so given all that, perhaps I might propose to you now a slightly different take on this same gospel, which is very much grounded in the text. And so just to kind of set the stage, right? So Mary Magdalene, again, she's at the empty tomb and she's mourning, right? She's weeping, she's weeping perhaps uncontrollably. And why? Because the last memory she has of Jesus Christ is that he seems to have been completely destroyed by the forces of evil. He was tortured, he was killed, he was crucified on the cross. As a result of which, she is completely despondent. And yeah, she's mourning and she's mourning a lot. And what's worse, in the absence of a clear notion of the resurrection, when she sees the empty tomb, it seems to be then, okay, gosh, on top of all that stuff, Jesus Christ, the body of Jesus Christ has now been taken away by his enemies. But then, of course, begins a series of really important conversations, beginning, of course, with this conversation between Mary Magdalene and this angel, right? And so the angel basically poses her the question, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? In response to which she says to him, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Lucy translated, all I want, all I really, really want is the crucified and dead body of Jesus Christ. That's all I really want. To see the dead body, to touch the dead body, to anoint his wounds. That's the thing that if I received it, would satisfy the deep longings of my heart in this particular moment. But then, of course, at this point, the Lord himself shows up on the scene, and he basically asks her the same questions. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Which begs the question, why is he doing this? He's not trying to be mean, but in a certain sense, he's trying to teach her something. And in particular, what he's trying to do, he's trying to purify the deep and holy longings which already exist in her own heart. Because if you think about it, in a certain sense, by asking her these questions over and over again, again, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you searching for? The Lord is actually saying to her something. And what he's basically saying to her is like, look, the thing that you think that you want, the thing that you're asking for is not really the thing that you want. Because if you really break it down, you don't really want the crucified body of Jesus of Nazareth. You don't really want to simply touch his wounds and anoint his wounds. What you really want, what you really desire in your hearts is the glorified and risen Christ. And in fact, on top of that, to share in his own blessed life. That's the thing that you actually want. And so basically what I'm doing here by asking you this series of questions is I'm basically extending to you an invitation, an invitation to expand your heart to hope for more, to dream for more. And that's precisely what happens, right? The moment that Mary Magdalene realizes that she actually wants more, that's the moment she receives the gift that Christ always wanted to give to her, the gift of a real encounter with the glorified and risen Christ. Okay, so given all that, what's the takeaway message? Well, hopefully you can see the takeaway message is not simply to have faith or to deepen our faith experience, but rather in a certain sense to begin by being honest. To be honest with the Lord in the context of prayer and just to bring to the table our hopes, our dreams, our deep desires, the deep longings in our hearts. Even though these hopes and dreams and longings might be somewhat unpolished or not immediately coincide with the desires that God wants us to have in the depths of our souls. You see, this is a classic example of basically respecting the process, right? Because after having submitted to the Lord our hopes and our dreams and our deep longings in the context of prayer, what are we called to do next? We're called to wait on the Lord's response. And so perhaps the Lord responds by giving you immediately the thing that you're asking for. But more likely than not, he probably invites you to wait, to wait on his response, to wrestle with him in a certain sense, to deepen and purify your own holy desires. And of course, the whole idea is that in those moments, we're called to never get discouraged. We're called to never give into a sense of despair, but to realize that if the Lord makes us wait, probably what he's doing, he's leading us through the same journey as Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John chapter 20. 
He's purifying our desires. He's expanding our hearts. He's allowing us to hope for more, such that eventually in time, our hearts are ready to receive the precious gift that God always wanted to give to us from the beginning of time. And may God bless you all.